0: Welcome to the Summit for Wellness podcast, where we help you climb to the peak of your health. And now, here is your host, Brian Carroll.
1: What's up, everyone? I'm Brian Carroll, and I'm here to help people who have an injury or illness that holds them back from enjoying the outdoors. And today we have Casey Poe Campbell joining us to talk about ways to nourish your skin from the inside out. Before we dive into this episode, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Enessa, who provide organic and pure skincare products that are free of harsh chemicals and nourish your skin. My wife loves their face wash and anti aging kit because she says her skin looks better than it ever did in her early twenties. You can learn more about their products at slash E N E S S A. Now let's dive right into my conversation with Casey Poe Campbell. Casey Poe Campbell is a licensed esthetician and nutritional therapy practitioner. She uses a real food approach combined with cleaner beauty products to help her clients feel confident in their skin. You can find her in Denver either trail running, snowboarding, or rock climbing, and on her podcast called Project Nourish. Thank you for coming onto the show, Casey.
2: Thank you, Brian, for having me as a guest. I'm so excited to chat with you today.
1: Of course. And I'm excited to chat with you because you're, you started as an esthetician and then you got into kind of the food nutritional world. So I would love to hear a little bit about your story, why you became an esthetician and then how that led to learning more about food.
2: Definitely. So I became an esthetician because I had just horrible skin growing up. So all throughout my teen years, I was constantly on some type of acne medication. And it wasn't until I went on Accutane, which is just so hard on your body, that I actually got clear skin going into college. But then I became a flight attendant in my mid 20s. And again, just started breaking out so bad with acne. And then also that is when I developed psoriasis was when I was a flight attendant. And one of my roommates was actually an esthetician because I had like 27 roommates because we were all poor and living in New York. So, one of them was a licensed esthetician, and it was the first that I had ever heard of facials. I mean, I always thought that you just went to like the massage therapist and got a facial, and it was only for the super rich. I had no idea that there was actually a function behind it. And so, that was when I decided to become an esthetician because I just knew that there had to be a better way to take care of my skin versus always just being on some type of topical or, you know, oral prescription. And so that was really how I got into becoming an esthetician. And when I was in aesthetic school, we really didn't talk about nutrition whatsoever. I mean, this was 10 years ago. So we were probably still talking about eating a low fat diet and eating snack well cookies. But you know, during that time, my skin was the worst that it had ever been. Definitely getting a facial every single day is not great for your skin. So it was actually a couple of years that passed before I finally used my aesthetics license because my skin was just in such bad shape. Now, fast forward to I used to live in Dallas, Texas, and I started just doing some chemical peels on the side because I needed to pay for a triathlon bike. Apparently, I have very expensive taste in bicycles. So I just started doing some chemical peels on the side to pay for this bike. And during that time, I realized that I started talking to my clients a lot more about nutrition, because I had done something called the Whole30, which I know you're familiar with. And during this nutritional reset, I realized, oh my goodness, this is the first time that my skin is truly clear and glowing. So maybe there is something to this whole nutrition piece. So I just started talking to my clients a lot more about the nutrition piece of it. And that was when I decided to enroll in the nutritional therapy association program because I was like, well, maybe I should know a little bit more about this whole nutrition piece.
1: When you went through that program, did that open up a whole new world for your, um, uh, the work you're doing as an esthetician, or was it pretty similar to what you learned through the Whole30?
2: It definitely opened up a whole new world for me, just knowing, okay, things like low stomach acid, how much of an impact that can make on our health when I always thought, you know, we had way too much. I mean, if you watch any of the commercials, we all think that we're running around with way too much stomach acid, or just what a key role our digestion and our gut microbiome basically makes in our whole entire life.
1: And since you mentioned chemical peels, I have no idea what's in that, but it sounds pretty brutal. Um, Do you still do chemical peels or what's your thoughts on those now that you look more at the internal workings of the body?
2: I think chemical peels are awesome still. I mean, there's a part of me that's, you know, will never give that up. But I do think that the ingredients you are using in the products that you apply topically absolutely matter. And as we have become more savvy consumers and just aware of some of the harmful ingredients that could potentially be in our skincare products, I think that it's very important to be cognizant of what we are putting on our skin. But you know, for me, I still do a chemical peel like once a month just so what it does basically is it just enhances your skin's natural shedding process and it doesn't have to be there's mild chemical peels like anything that an esthetician is going to do is going to be pretty mild I mean you can go to the derm and get some serious stuff done where you definitely look like a lizard or have you ever (laughs) seen that episode of sex in the city where Samantha gets a peel that's what everybody thinks of. (laughs) Where her face <laughs> is just like blistering and red. like You you don't have to look like that with a okay, chemical peel.
1: So there's better options out there than, yes, than there to melt are. the whole face off.
2: Yes, um, yeah. You don't have to melt your face off in order to get a good result with a peel. In fact, sometimes you can be a little bit too aggressive and that isn't necessarily good for your skin either because you can just create a lot more inflammation in there. So more is not always better.
1: And then you had mentioned how stomach acid could influence how your skin looks. So can you talk about how uh, that can play a role and what does your digestive system have to do with what's on your skin?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, like when we think about our digestion we have to think about, okay, are we actually absorbing the nutrients that we are putting into our skin? So this was something that was brought to my attention. Before I went to nutritional therapy school, I worked with a registered dietitian because I was training for a half Ironman triathlon. And during this time, I started gaining weight and I just was not feeling all that great. I was getting dropped by my normal people that I rode with all the time. And so through working with this dietitian, I realized, oh, okay, I'm not actually digesting my food, because I had like chunks of food in my poop. And that was, you know, the first question she asked me, and I was just like, so aghast, like, oh, my gosh, we're gonna talk about poop. But now I talk about it all the time. So during <laughs> that, it really just opened my eyes to the importance of Digestion, And then through the nutritional therapy program, when we learned about stomach acid and it being incredible, like if it's low, then we're not necessarily digesting those foods and we're not able to absorb those nutrients. So actually, I was reading an interesting article uh, earlier this morning about the gut microbiome. And one of the points that was made was about low stomach acid and how it can allow for the overgrowth of bacteria. So creating kind of like a SIBO situation. And this can absolutely appear on your skin in the form of acne.
1: That's super fascinating. So since we're talking about the microbiome um, and so many people are taking probiotics now and they're trying to figure out what the heck this microbiome stuff is do you think that the overuse or underuse of probiotics could influence the way the skin is looking?
2: I do. I think that it's not something that people should just blanket, like take like every single person, you know, absolutely needs this many million or billion things. Oh my gosh, what are they called? Like the, what do they measure the probiotics in? Oh my gosh, the Um, billions of CFUs or
1: yeah. Believe, a few but,
2: yeah, So, you know, I think that there can definitely be, I don't want to say too much of it, but it's maybe not the best fit for some people because I'll have you know, people reach out to me randomly and they're like, yeah, I've been taking this probiotic and it's just making me feel terrible, but I know that I should be taking one. So I've kept taking it. And I'm kind of like, well, maybe not. Cause there's clearly something that Maybe you are going through die off symptoms, or whatever. But at the same time, you still need to listen to your body. And just because some celebrity is taking a probiotic or some influencer you follow is recommending this probiotic, maybe your body is telling you that it's not necessarily the best thing for you at this moment.
1: And if someone has uh, chronic skin issues of some sort, how do they know which direction to uh, look inside of their body? Like how are they supposed to know maybe I'm low stomach acid or maybe I need probiotics of some sort?
2: I think working, absolutely reaching out to an esthetician or a nutritional therapy practitioner definitely can help just kind of steer people in the right direction of where to start. Also where you're breaking out. On your face can be an indication of what is where you may have an imbalance in your body. So if you have digestive issues, sometimes that can either show up on your forehead, or kind of like around your mouth. Hormonal breakouts tend to show up on lower jawline, or even kind of on your neck, I call it the vampire acne. So when you're looking at these things on your face, then you know, like, okay, maybe this is going on because of where you're breaking out. But I've also had people that just talk on their cell phones a lot, and they're not using a headset or anything. So when they hold their headphone or their cell phone on, they get one side of breakouts. And it's just, you know, like directly kind of on their cheekbone where their phone would sit. And I'm like, Oh, well, Stop talking on your phone, you know, like use a headset. I mean, the EMFs are a whole other issue, but, you know, wipe your phone off or stop doing it that way. And their, fo- and their acne clears up immediately.
1: So if you look at a lot of teenagers, because they're going through a lot of changes in their body, um, they tend to get acne all over the place, all over the face. So is that an indication of hormone imbalance and digestive issues, uh, because it's all over or is is that just part of growing up or can is there ways that you can support kids so that they don't have to suffer as much with their acne Mm
2: -hmm. okay so this is a little Fun fact that I was reading about this morning in that same gut microbiome and skin axis article. So 85% of adolescents and young, young adults between the ages of 12 and 25 are affected by acne. And it represents the eighth most common medical disorder worldwide. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Right. I mean, it is just way too common. And I think so much of it, you know, everything you mentioned definitely does play into it. I mean, there's so many different factors that go into acne. So you think about teens, they're not eating the best. They're going to be eating those really high carbohydrate diets. I mean, I lived off of Cheetos and Diet Dr. Pepper in high school. I mean, you know, we're just. Uh, they're not eating the way that they should be getting those proper macronutrients in there's, you know, some hygiene issues, like not saying any not saying everybody with acne has hygiene issues, and ne- not necessarily washing your face all the time is the best thing for acne. But you know, like, as you're learning and growing, you need to learn how to properly care for your skin. And also, you know, the hormones too. So I think it is there's a lot of pieces to the pie when it comes to acne and it that's what makes it also just so darn frustrating is we can't just say oh it's exactly this.
1: Yeah and I think as teenagers too uh, you get caught up in this roller coaster of I have zits I have acne so I need to wash my face or use this product and then you end up getting more and so then you're getting <laughs> like a whole counter full of products that you're trying to use at once, um, which like you said, more is not always better. And they're always trying to battle it and knock it down. So it it almost seems like teens go a little too far with the trying to clean everything up.
2: And I think so much of that goes into the whole social aspect of it and the self-confidence piece of it. I know when I had really bad acne in high school, I, I was a swimmer. And so I didn't even want to go to swim practice without having a full face of makeup on. Or, I mean, I can't even imagine what it's like now with social media. And if you didn't filter a picture, just the the mental side of it as well. And then, you know, like you have that extra stress, which can additionally cause the additional breakouts. So it's just, it's such a tough, tough situation to be in. So, I mean, I remember in high school, I would have done anything. I tried all the different products and was washing my face so many times a day, just constantly picking at it, just really doing anything. And when the dermatologist told me about Accutane and that it could clear up my acne, I didn't even, I don't even remember if he's told, talked about the side effects of it, but I didn't care. At that point, I was just so desperate for clear skin that I would have done anything. And I mean, honestly, to this day, I, I don't regret that decision of taking Accutane. And I would probably do it again, like it, go, knowing for, going forward, knowing what I know. I probably would just because the self-confidence piece of it, I think, is so important.
1: And so for a lot of acne commercials, you see them talk about oil going into the pores or even bacteria festering in the pores, and that's what you're kind of seeing come out to the surface. Um, Do you think that is true, or is your body trying to expel stuff from the inside out? And um, is there actually a role in the health of your skin by keeping the oils on the skin?
2: That's a great question, and yes, you do need the oil. I was, oh my gosh, talking to this chick the other day, and she was using antibacterial, the uh, like that pump uh, hand sanitizer on oh, her like Germex, yeah, Oh on her oh. face. And I wish you could have seen the look. <clears throat> like, thank goodness we weren't on video because it would have been <laughs> like, bless her heart. But I, yeah, we absolutely need the oil. So I mean, you know that every single cell in our body is built from fat or lipids. So same with our skin, we absolutely need to have that oil on there. And so a lot of acne clients that I've worked with, they say, Oh, I'm just washing my face with some really crummy bar soap, and then my face is super try, like dry and tight afterward because I'm going to dry out the acne. When in fact, what they're doing is their body is, their skin is thinking, oh my gosh, I actually need hydration and I need my skin to be moisturized. So it starts producing more oil. So they end up doing the exact opposite of what they were intending. And so with acne, you absolutely have to moisturize and nourish the skin. The way that I kind of like to describe it is, you know, think about acne almost like a wound on the skin. So let's say you get a cut on your hand or whatever, are you going to be pouring? I mean, maybe you might put alcohol on it at first, but you're not going to be scrubbing it. And like that cut, you're not going to be scrubbing it every single day and putting all of these harsh soaps on there and not putting any Neosporin or whatever you may be using on it. You're going to treat it like a wound. So that's almost what you have to think of with acne as well. So nourishing it versus really taking a harsh approach to it.
1: And when it comes down to uh, chronic skin conditions, what are some of the more common ones that you typically uh, see in your practice?
2: I see quite a bit of eczema as well as psoriasis. And occasionally around the mouth area, I'll see some atopic uh, dermatitis, which is just basically a fancy word for inflamed skin. And a lot of times that's from a toothpaste. Oh. Yeah, which is so interesting. I'll ask, you know, first question. I'll say, Hey, did you happen to change your toothpaste? And they're like, Oh yeah, I started using this super, you know, 10 million X whitening toothpaste, and all of a sudden my mouth and lips are on fire. I'm like, okay, well, why don't maybe try? But they didn't even associate that it could potentially be the toothpaste. And, you know, with psoriasis, I mean, having a personal experience with it. So I got my first psoriasis breakout when I first got hired to be a flight attendant and moved to, I lived in Atlanta for six weeks during training in a hotel and then moved to New York City right after. So all just really, really exciting things happening, but it's also extremely stressful. And, you know, I was living in a hotel, so definitely not eating the best. And of course, you know, we were flight attendants, we were drinking a ton. And I had psoriasis so bad on my legs that I was, I mean, I was just mortified. I had no idea what it was. We didn't have health insurance yet. So I couldn't go to the dermatologist. And there was actually a passenger on the plane, I had black nylons on, but you could still see the psoriasis through it. And this passenger, he handed me a flyer for some supplement and he would said, Hey, I see that you have psoriasis on your legs or you have a rash on your legs. Why don't you try this? And I was so mortified. I immediately threw it away, went to the bathroom and cried and then went to the dermatologist and got like a steroid cream and who knows whatever else. But the... The thing when I think back on it now is of all of the dermatologists that I ever went to, not one single derm asked me, what are you eating or what what has changed? What does your life look like right now? And so for me, I know, you know, like after I use a steroid cream and all that, it cleared up. But now I know I did get another breakout of psoriasis when I left my full-time job, my corporate job to do full-time entrepreneurship, which of course is super exciting, but also very stressful. So I know for me as well, that if I start to see some patches of psoriasis that, oh, okay, it's kind of time to rein it back in. That maybe I am letting a little bit too much gluten sneak back into my diet, or maybe I've hit up few too many happy hours, or maybe this project really isn't serving me well. So it's a great reminder that my body is out of harmony, or it's out of balance.
1: And so you talked about gluten, you talked about alcohol as possible reasons that could cause flare ups. Um, Let's, let's take a look at gluten a little bit and food sensitivities and allergies. What What are the most common foods that you see that are also correlating with people's skin issues?
2: Dairy, number one, especially for acne. And this was a very interesting, I guess, kind of very non-scientific study I did with my clients at my brick and mortar spa was I would tell them if they had acne, I said, hey, do me a favor and just cut dairy out for two weeks and let's let's just see. And I have to tell you, Brian, I was a miracle worker by telling people to do that. I mean, I would get these messages and people just said, I don't know what you did, but my skin is glowing. That treatment was amazing. And I'm thinking to myself, no, I had nothing to do with it. You just stop putting half, like a gallon of half and half in your coffee every day and your skin is happier. So definitely dairy is number one, at least in my experience for acne. Also, uh, you know, taking just really removing those highly inflammatory foods. So the gluten, um, alcohol, what else? Oh, sugar, processed sugar. Oh, my goodness that one is really big. And, you know, so kind of in the age group, you know how you attract the clients that are most similar to you. So I'm 37. So a lot of the clients that I see are kind of mid 30s to kind of like mid 40s. Some people are in their late 20s. But it's amazing the difference that cutting out processed sugar makes in terms of fine lines and wrinkles. Because you know, it's just those sugars are going in there and making everything really sticky. So, if you imagine a piece of toast when we're consuming a lot of processed sugar, it looks like your skin kind of looks like a piece of burnt toast versus the fresh piece of toast. And so, when people cut out sugar, it's amazing how much better and more youthful their skin looks. You stop seeing some of those fine lines and wrinkles. And again, I'm a miracle worker when it comes to that. <laughs>
1: And then what about like hydration? That's kind of a tougher one for us to, uh, you know, assess and double check with people that they're making that they're drinking enough liquids because we have a ton of different options for liquids. But Mm -hmm. um, do you tell people to drink more water so that it hydrates the skin better?
2: Yes. So I, you know, tell people to drink at least half their body weight in ounces per day. And then if they have the diuretics, then to do like 12 ounces for eight ounces of coffee, and also adding in some sea salt to get those electrolytes. I also like to give people a little recipe of what I call beauty water. And so it it's water infused with cucumbers, strawberries, and some mint. So this is going to be, it's going to provide antioxidants, give some extra hydration, it just tastes really good. So it gets people to drink more water. And it's so funny, you know, everybody's always like, Oh, yeah, I drink so much water. But then if you actually have them track it, they realize, Oh, yeah, I had a cup today and 17 Mm -hmm. cups of coffee. Yep. Now, what's your opinion on the sparkling waters? Like a LaCroix or something like does that count as hydration? Or is it a diuretic? Or is it kind of like Switzerland in between? (laughs)
1: um from the little bit of research i've done on it it sounds like it's like switzerland it's kind of a um like you can still hydrate from it but the carbonation process can mess with some of the digestive processes in the body too because a lot of people they're drinking this stuff while they're also eating Mm -hmm. um so it can screw up stomach acid and a few other things um so I don't know if the there's the jury is out on that one for sure on things, but I I just drank water, so
2: yeah, yeah. I always just <laughs> it as Switzerland. I mean, I had one client of mine that was drinking seven or eight of them a day, wow. and thinking that that it's was like their her pop. the only hydration that she needed. I said, Yeah, I really need to just drink some more some plain water. And it was funny, because she posted this on Facebook, it just kind of as a joke. And I got lambasted on that. People Mm. I mean, of course, you know, they were going to Google and registered dietitians had said that drinking LaCroix is just as good, if not better than drinking water. And I was just like, Oh, my gosh, like, this was a joke, people. Like, yeah, it's, it's fine. And that's,
1: that's the thing. If anyone comes out and says, uh, this is better than drinking water. Like you're saying this processed thing over here is better than what nature has created. Like that's, that's a little far-fetched.
2: Yeah, exactly. And it was, you know, it was a registered dietitian that said it. So. Yep. Well,
1: that's, (laughs) that's, that's what we have to work with. That's for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Um, so you you had mentioned some topical agents, some creams, and you also mentioned um, like oral prescriptions as well. Is there a time and place for either of those? I
2: think so. Uh, let's say you have somebody that has really, really inflamed cystic acne, and I mean it's just all over their face where they are going to have really, really bad scarring. I mean it kind of gets to a point and. You know, a lot of people may disagree with this, but I'm just going from the point of more from the mental side of it, that if you have someone who is doesn't want to go out in public because they're so ashamed of their skin, or they're going to be left with a lifetime of dealing with acne scarring, then yeah, you know what, go on the topical and the prescription medications and work with a practitioner to make sure that you are making sure your gut health is getting to the place where it needs to be. But yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a time and place for it when you're looking at people that, you know, are threatening suicide, or they're looking at, okay, let's say I do let this kind of, My hormones balance out and fix all these gut things, but it's going to take a couple of years. And in the meantime, I'm going to be left with all of these scars. I don't think it's worth it. I think that, you know, use the medications and just properly support your body.
1: And when people go on these medications, is there usually uh, some sort of follow-up protocol to help them get off of it or to, you know, support their body when they come off of it or is it more important? No. (laughs) I mean, at Um, least if,
2: you know, like if you're working with like natural
1: or yeah, yeah, when you go to the doctor.
2: Yeah. In my experience, when I worked with the dermatologist, as soon as I was done with Accutane, it was kind of like, okay, you can get off birth control now and you're good. There was no conversation of, hey, maybe I don't have a non fat latte every single day. Like, that could probably help your skin. But at the time, you know, I wanted a non fat latte and had no idea that that was probably what was in, you know, enhancing or like impacting my acne and my skin. So I think that that's why it's really important to work with somebody like an esthetician or a nutritional therapy practitioner. So you can say, okay, here are the steps going forward because you were just on this antibiotic that totally wrecked your gut. So let's let's rebuild it. Let's get you onto a topical protocol as well that is going to support your skin because after doing something like an Accutane, your skin is just so dry and inflamed that you really need to support it moving forward.
1: And isn't most accutane treatments like three to six months? I think it's
2: yes. Mine was six months.
1: Six months. So Mm -hmm. six months of being on an antibiotic. Yeah. That's a long time for the body.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, some of the long lasting side effects that, you know, we just didn't know when I was in high school. But I mean, like my nose would bleed. Every single day, just because, I mean, it dries everything out. I've also heard of women who have troubles getting pregnant later on because it's actually dried out their cervix. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's some crazy, harsh side effects to it.
1: Uh, so does it dehydrate the body? Do you need to be drinking more water when you're on it too?
2: I think so. I definitely did. It. I mean, yeah, I was senior in high school, so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, definitely not. Um, yeah, I
2: probably had like vitamin water and Dr. Pepper and called it good.
1: <laughs> and uh, what about sourcing and looking at labels on products? Because um, I know like the the beauty industry isn't that regulated when it comes to ingredients, at least in the US, right? So that's pretty important to look at stuff. It
2: is. Yeah. So to that point of there being a lack of regulation in the United States, there is only one and a half pages of legislation for a $65 billion industry. Wow. Yeah, crazy, right? And then guess what year was the last time a major federal law was implemented regulating the cosmetics industry?
1: I'm going to say the 80s.
2: 1938. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like Hitler was a thing. The last time wow. that the skin, the cosmetics industry had a major federal law regulating it. So the United States is wildly behind. Right now, we only ban 30 ingredients from being used in our skincare products, whereas the European Union bans 1,400. Wow. Yeah.
1: That's a big difference. Exactly.
2: So again, we need to be savvy, educated consumers and avoiding... There's three ingredients that I will uh, chat about today. So number one is fragrance. We want to avoid fragrance because it is considered a trade secret, meaning that companies do not have to disclose the ingredients that go into what makes up fragrance. So they can hide different ingredients in their most harmful being phthalates, which can be their endocrine disruptors, and they can actually cause birth defects, especially in little boys. Next up, we have parabens. So again, parabens are going to be hormone disruptors they've been found in breast cancer tissue also they've been found in breast milk so definitely stay away from parabens they're used in products as a preservative so any product that has water has to have a preservative in it and then lastly it's kind of a two combo so these are found in sunscreens so it's called oxybenzone and octanoxate and what those do they're chemical blockers and they have been known to cause a collapse of the coral reefs, and then they're also hormone disruptors as well. So those would be my top three ingredients to, you know, just make sure you are looking out for those guys, just because they're going to have the biggest impact on your hormonal health. And then also terms such as all natural or botanical really don't mean anything. Anybody can slap that label onto their products. And something that I hear all the time is, oh, I only use all natural products. Well, not everything natural is good for you. And not everything chemical is bad for you. I mean, technically, poison ivy is all natural and water is a chemical, but you're not going to rub poison ivy on your face and stop drinking water. So, I think that there needs to be you know a little more education around that everything natural and botanical doesn't necessarily mean good or safe.
1: And um, those three ingredients that you talked about are those always on the labels? Do those have to be labeled? Yes, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. so, you, so the, um,
2: the word fragrance, you never actually know what it is made up of. So companies don't have to disclose what they put in to make that word fragrance
1: got it mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. yeah so it could change product to product potentially oh, yeah. actually in that huh
2: yep absolutely and you know some companies will be a bit more transparent and say fragrance and in parentheses next to it with essential oils but they don't have to list out okay these were the essential oils that were used And, you know, so for instance, there was this company that they make these body wipes. And I was like, oh, that would be so handy camping. And, but the last ingredient was fragrance. And I reached out to them just to see, hey, you know, like what all is in your fragrance? And they wouldn't answer me. So I'm like,
1: red flags. I'm
2: like, okay, I will not be buying your body wipes. Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) And you actually mentioned sunscreen. Um, are there better ways to use sunscreen than to go and get like what is that, like the banana, something oh, yeah. or other?
2: Don't yeah, don't w- buy banana. <laughs> I will come over and like slap it out of your hand. <laughs> sorry if you wanted to be uh, sponsored by them. It's not gonna happen. But
1: <laughs> no, not gonna happen now. <laughs> I know. Sorry
2: about that, Brian.
1: <laughs> so, what are the now- better options?
2: Better options, look for a mineral-based sunscreen. So something that has zinc oxide or titanium dioxide, those are going to be your best bets because they are going to be a physical blocker, meaning that when you look at the skin and it has a physical blocker on there, the UVB or the rays are going to be like blocked off of it. So it's kind of like a shower cap for your skin is the way that I like to say it. And I am a much bigger fan of the physical blockers versus the chemical blockers because a chemical blocker is actually absorbed into your skin. And what it does is it absorbs the UV radiation and then disperses it as heat. And so these can be the ones that cause a lot of skin irritation as well as they can be the hormone disruptors as well. A couple of other things, you know, definitely in sunscreens, make sure that they don't have fragrance. make sure they don't have the parabens. Also, the aerosol sunscreens, I am not a fan of them because they can contain particles that are definitely not good for you to breathe in. I mean, you think about it, like you see people in the parking lot at like the hiking trail or whatever, and they're spraying themselves and a gust of wind comes up. And they get that in their face and they start coughing. You're like, how can that be good for you. And then a lot of times the aerosol sunscreens, they go on so thin that it's not actually providing any sun protection. So there are some companies that make uh, it's like compressed air. If you're just like, I need a spray sunscreen, it's it comes out with compressed air. So it's not like the aerosol. So it can, uh, and then it goes on like kind of white. Oh, yeah, that could be one downside with the mineral sunscreens is that it does like the zinc oxide, you're going to have a whitish tint to you, but just deal with it. It's much better than killing the coral reefs.
1: Yeah, that's what a lot of uh, mountaineers use is zinc, and you just see their faces are just covered in that white mask of mm-hmm. sunscreen. Yeah, but they don't want to get burned. So yeah,
2: and you know that's such a good point because people think, oh, it's cold outside, I don't need to wear sunscreen. But there, you know, you have people in some of the coldest environments on Earth, and they are slathering on the zinc because you have it reflecting off of the off of the snow.
1: Yep. If you ever have the inside of your nose or your ears burnt, then you'll learn very quickly how the sun can reflect off things. Oh,
2: I have never had the inside of my nose burnt. That sounds not fun. It's not fun. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anytime, anytime your nose moves, it just hurts.
2: Oh my goodness.
1: Oh yeah. So that's one of those spots that most people don't realize until it's too late. So now, you know,
2: I do know. Yeah. I'm going to tell everybody that I know. (laughs) Oh, and the other key to sunscreen is, oh, I have two points, two more points on sunscreen. Number one is higher SPF does not necessarily equal more protection. Basically, the SPF is registering or it's marking or measuring the percentage of UVB ray that is blocked. So the difference between SPF 30 and SPF 50 is only 1%. So 30 blocks, 97% of the UVB rays, and 50 blocks, 98% of the UVB rays. So with that being said, if you use something, I forget which company it is, but they have, uh, it's an SPF 100, which basically, you know, you think, oh, okay, I'm protected for 100% of the time I'm outside, which is so not true at all. You still need to reapply your sunscreen. And these higher SPFs are just giving people kind of a false sense of security that they can stay outside all day and only put their sunscreen on once. So you absolutely have to reapply your sunscreen. And typically the instructions are going to be on the bottle. Well, they're always going to be on the bottle. But typically, typically, if you, let's say you're sweating profusely, or you're swimming, and then you get out and dry yourself off, you need to reapply every 40 minutes. Otherwise, it's typically every 80 minutes.
1: Hmm. And then what are your three favorite nutrients or foods for skin health that most people aren't getting enough of into their diets?
2: I feel like collagen is one, but it's definitely Ooh, getting I was gonna ask about that. It's gonna it's getting more mainstream. So I think that people are getting it into their diet. And I remember I started selling vital proteins in my shop, gosh, three or four years ago. And people were like, Ew, that's beef hide, like so pretentious about <laughs> it. And now everybody's like, Oh yeah, it's collagen, no big deal. But, you know, after the age of 25, we lose one and a half percent of our body's collagen every year. So we need to supplement with it, especially if we really want that healthy aging support. So basically, the way I think about it is it just kind of like plumps up your skin cells. It helps with that collagen. So your skin is just going to be plumper and fuller in a good way, because that's what we want when we're trying to prevent anti-aging. And also, you know, the gut benefits that you get from the collagen as well. I think something else that is uh, really, really great for the skin that a lot of people maybe don't like or they just don't get it into their diets all that often is beets. And so beets contain beta alanins, which are, it's a phytochemical that increases production of glutathione, which is an antioxidant. And so basically what it's going to do is help to keep your skin elastic. And it also helps to protect from UV ray damage. Hmm. So getting your beets in your diet, just, you know, maybe leave a note on your toilet. I eat beets. I'm not dying (laughs) (laughs) for the next morning and then lastly is astaxanthin. And so whether you're getting that from salmon or if you're supplementing with it, when I mean it has so many just amazing health benefits just everywhere else in our body, but also for our skin, it helps to uh eradicate the UV damage, and it can help with the DNA repair after the cells have been exposed to UV radiation. So I'll take it before like a really long hiking trip, or if I'm going to be outside riding my bike for a long time, I'll pop an astaxanthin right before I go just for that extra, like from the inside out UV protection.
1: Awesome. Well, as we start to close up here, do you have any last things you want to touch on when it comes to skin health and, um, you know, different ways to get your skin vibrant and super healthy?
2: I would say make sure you're drinking your water. Definitely check your ingredients on the skincare products that you're using and make sure that you're avoiding those three ingredients that I missed or that I mentioned. And wear your sunscreen 80% of aging comes from extrinsic factors, meaning the sun or pollution, but the sun is definitely going to age you the most. So put it on your face every day.
1: Awesome. And then my final question for you is, do you have a morning routine? And if so, what is it?
2: I do. So have you ever heard of the miracle morning I have. Yes. So I do the Miracle Morning. So if you guys are not familiar with that, it's an acronym called SAVERS, which is silence, Affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing or writing, but scribing fit better into the acronym. And basically, you just take five minutes every day. So you can, you know, meditate for five minutes, write out or say your affirmations, do a little visualization, exercise. I typically do at the end because I'll do more than five minutes of that read for five to 10 minutes, and then just journal or do your gratitude journal. So that is something that, you know, I've fallen in and out of the routine of it. But definitely for the past five years, I've been implementing some form of the Miracle Morning into my daily routine.
1: Awesome. Sounds like a great routine. And I know a lot of people follow that one. Um, That one went mainstream a while back. So it's cool. I think you're the first person that has come on to say that you're actually following that to the T. So,
2: <laughs> I mean, that, it's not every cool. I, don't, I don't want to give myself too many props there.
1: <laughs> well, people can find you at Casey Poe, and that's P O E dot com. And also, you have your Project Nourish podcast. Um, and also, right now, you are training to. Um, make your way up to the Everest base camp. So can you talk a little bit about uh, what that trip entails and what you're doing for training for that? Yes,
2: we are going to be leaving in October for the trip. So it is 10 days of hiking and it'll be 46 miles with about 9000 feet of elevation gain. So to train for this, uh, I belong to a gym called Earth Trex. It's a climbing gym here in Colorado. And they have these awesome strength and hit classes. So I've been going to those two to three times a week. We're also going to start implementing some longer hikes throughout the summer uh, on consecutive days. So, you know, Saturday and Sunday, trying to get some of those 10-mile hikes in. And then, have you ever heard of this, the rule of 42? So it's apparently Uh -uh. 42 days out from your trip. That's when altitude training actually counts. So if we were to do a 14er in July, it's really not going to benefit our altitude fitness in October. So our 42 days starts end of August. So into August and September, we'll be knocking off some 14ers as well, just to get that, get up there in the altitude a little bit. And that's really it. I mean, just, I mean, I think the best way to train for it is to actually do what you're going to be doing along with the strength. I should probably do some yoga, but I just don't like it. So <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I need to, but we'll
1: see. You'll probably do a little bit afterwards because your back will be sore and you'll be tired. So you won't want to stretch out. Or I'll be saying
2: during the trip, dang, I wish I would have done some yoga, but
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I totally agree. Like the best training you can do is to do something extremely similar to what you're, um, going to be doing. So in this case, get outside, hike, play around in the mountains Mm -hmm. and get some elevation under your feet. Yep. It's good stuff. And, um, right now there's all the talk going on about Everest. So what's your thoughts on what's going on up there? Oh, It's kind of a
2: fiasco up there Mm. is what it seems like. I mean, it's tough because here you have people that have been training and just working so hard to do this incredible feat of summiting the highest mountain on earth. But then you have people who just pay their way to get there. So it's it's tough because it's like, okay, who who is the person that's going to decide like, hey, you're not actually fit enough to summit? Like you're just paying someone to drag you up the mountain, essentially. And then you look at the economy of Nepal and that being a Sherpa is the best paid job that there is. So of course, these guiding companies and the Sherpas, they're not going to turn people away because I mean, that's their that's their livelihood. I mean, they make as much in a season as I think oh my gosh, I heard this crazy stat like a sherpa can make in one trip what like the typical nepalese person makes in 4 years. I mean, wow. of course they're they're not going to turn it down. So I just oh man, I think it's a tough tough situation because you have all of these people wanting to climb it some who shouldn't be there and it's just creating a mess. And I mean, people are dying because of it just spending that much time in the, the death zone and just being exposed. I mean, we're definitely not meant to be up there for sure as humans.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. it's definitely tough because like you said, you have the people that are, they've been training for years to get to this point. And then you have the other people that have never even put on crampons. And they're yeah. both on the same exact mountain
2: exactly like that would tick me off so much if i was on there and somebody showed up with crampons with the price tag still on it or something i mean yeah 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 it just i don't know i've never really had the desire to do everest it just being cold that long just didn't i don't know have you ever wanted to do it
1: uh, everest has never been one i wanted to do more because of the political stuff with it mm-hmm. uh, but k2 k2 um is definitely on my list okay And now the world knows. So lucky me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's going to be going now because of you. Thanks, Brian.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you'll have to report back to me and let me know how that trip goes, because I'm definitely curious on how everything looks up there and if the photos that we see is um, accurate or if it's, you know, just from specific moments up there. So definitely come back and report to us. I will. Uh, For sure. Thank thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. And um, if people want to learn more, they need to go check out your Project Nourish podcast and they can learn all about different uh, stuff for their skin.
2: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And then people can also follow me on Instagram at Real Talk Casey.
1: Perfect. And we'll have all that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Brad. It was a great time. Thank you again.
1: It's amazing how complicated the skincare industry is, especially when the regulations haven't been changed in years and the labels can be extremely vague. What isn't vague is the quality of skincare products from Inessa. If you go back to episode 33, you can hear directly from the founder of Inessa about how she sources materials to use in her products. They are all completely organic and she gets the ingredients directly from the source. To learn more about Inessa, go to summitforwellness.com E-N-E-S-S-A. Are you ready to take your health to the next level? If so, our health programs are designed to help you make lasting changes to your health. With our habit-changing process, we walk alongside you on your health journey, making sure that you are successful and feel like the best version of you. We only take two new clients every single month. So to learn more, go to summitforwellness.com slash ready. Next episode, we have Shelly Galwith coming onto the show to chat with us all about parasites. Let's quickly learn a little more about Shelly. I am here with Shelly Galwith, who is a nutritional therapy practitioner. Hey, Shelly, what is one unique thing about you that most people don't know?
0: I used to do horse ride. I used to ride horses and compete like in terms of show jumping with them. Most people have no idea.
1: And do you still ride horses?
0: No. Um, I no. will sometimes for relaxation, but I'm a real competitive person. So if I've ever done something competitively, I'm not so good at dropping it down and then just enjoying it.
1: Mm, that makes sense. Well, what, is, what will we be learning about in our interview together?
0: We are going to learn all about parasites. <laughs> okay, <laughs> get on Google now and we'll have a quick look at what that even means but just how easy it is to catch parasites because most people don't realize how they can be passed on and the impact that they have on your health.
1: What um, are your favorite foods or nutrients that you think everyone should get more of in their diet?
0: Greens, because nobody, when I see food journals in clinic, are eating enough greens. Like we need like six to eight cups a day. So we need good fiber because that feeds all the prebiotics in our gut. So you, I don't want people taking supplements It's all about getting it from your diet, so we need a whole bunch more greens.
1: And then what are your top three health tips for anyone who wants to improve their overall wellness?
0: Uh, Go to bed, something that I never liked to do because I thought sleep was a total waste of time. But the reality is that's when we detoxify our bodies, so we 100% need sleep, and it's gotta become a non-negotiable. Greens, obviously, eating your fiber, getting in six to eight cups a day, and sipping your water something that I never knew about, um, pre getting set. I didn't know that there was a technique to drinking the water. So sipping.
1: And I'm assuming you want to make sure that water doesn't have parasites.
0: Yep. (laughs) The quality of the water is really important. You're right.
1: Now let's be honest. Parasites are gross. And it is estimated that over 80% of humans have parasites somewhere in their gut. This will be an awesomely gross and interesting episode to listen to next week. So keep on climbing to the peak of your health and we'll see you next time.